Enjoy the two true freaks internet radio broadcast. Stop it! Disenfranchised by the modern comics industry, producer Paul Spitaro, Dr. Bill Robinson, and Scott H. Gardner now ply the time stream in a never-ending quest to rediscover and reconnect with that unique brand of fun and excitement that can only truly be found in good old-fashioned, randomly selected comic book back issues. Journey with them now. Back. Back. To the bins. I got nowhere else to go! I got nowhere else to go! I got nothing else. Alright. Alright, here we go. <clears throat> I'm gonna go ahead and bring us in. You gonna bring us in? Yep. Okay, you should I think bring he... us in. I think he's gonna Hello, bring us Hello and in. welcome. What? <laughs> <laughs> you're bringing us in, right? I'm bringing you in. All right. Whenever you're Hello. ready. So Scott is bringing us in, right? Shut up. <laughs> Hello and welcome right, that's to... that's good. Back- I was waiting for us to get started. Jesus Christ. Here. What? Hello and welcome to... <laughs> I can't even say myself up. <laughs> welcome to Back to the Bin. What horrible professionalism. My God, oh, when you just bring the show in already? went out the window on this show ages ago. What are you talking about? Oh, my God. Well, once everybody sees the topic we're doing, <laughs> a lot of things going to go out the window. Sometimes the right. shite episodes Absolutely. are the best ones. Uh, well, I'm, I'm hoping that uh, that people will uh, 
will still, you know, give us a try, even though they may see the title or may see the picture and go, what, really? Nah, I don't have any interest. But I don't know. I, I think that I think most of our, you know, you guys, you, the listening audience, you guys chime in and let me know if I'm right or not. But I think most of our folks listen to us regardless of what the content is, because they they're listening for us, not so much for what the books are. I could be wrong about that, but I, I think most of them are. My, aren't we full of ourselves? <laughs> no, no. I mean, I've been told that. Well, I give you. I, You're I give listening you from ex- me. <laughs> no, I, I, I have to. You know, I'm going to defend example. Scott Somebody on this one because there are so many comic book shows out there. Now, I don't think we have the largest audience in the world, but I think the people who do stay with us stay with us because they like us. Because if they didn't like us, they just find a different show covering comic books. They don't need us. Right. You sure they just don't have anywhere else to go? It's possible. <laughs> Well, I'll give you an example. Somebody that's, that's long overdue for a shout-out for this show. That, that reminds me. I need to take you guys to task for something because I, I think it whether, whether intentionally or, or not, I think you guys screwed me on something. So correct me if I'm wrong on this. but Whatever so, it was, it was intentional. Months ago, months ago, I told you guys the story about going to my, my local comic shop and I'm hunting back issues and I went to the, the register to pay for my back issues. And as I'm speaking to the, the person that's ringing me out, I had somebody say, hey, don't you do a podcast? And I'm yeah, like, you told us about that. Yeah. Yeah. And I told you guys this story. Right. Yeah. And later on, I remember asking you both, did I tell that story? And it made it into a sh- like, was it on? Basically, was it on the air? Were we recording? I think is what I said. And you, hey, yeah, yeah, yeah. Sure. It's going to make it into a show. It never made it into a show, or at least I never heard it if it did. Mm. And so a couple of weeks ago, I was in the car, like actually driving to the comic shop. And that thought occurred to me that, you know, I don't think that story has ever made it into the show. I really need to tell that story on the show because person's feelings to be hurt, you know, because I told him, I said, hey, I'm going to talk about this on the show. And then I go to the comic shop. And I'm digging through boxes, and lo and behold, who do I run into? Same guy again. And uh, Socrates, that, that right? Socrates, Socrates Alvarez, yeah. And and I mean, I was really glad to see him, but I was also like horribly embarrassed because I had just had that thought that I, ne- you know, it never made it into the show after I said that it would. Was and that so I actually was that, that by any chance in the half of. Uh, the episode we lost oh you know what that that's entirely possible that is entirely possible yeah i, mean, I, I all have... knows it, if it was somewhere else or he remembers here i don't i don't think it is anywhere else i think that may ah. have been when you discussed it because you did discuss it at some point so it could i know be. you told us about it on air and not only have you told and us it, about it, it but, episode... but i i've repeated the story in conversations with people on several occasions, not necessarily on the air. Right. Yeah, that's but a good it, but point. But it's something that on your behalf... I'm sorry. It's something that on your behalf I'm kind of proud of that, you know, that, that people recognize us and, and want to do nice things. Yeah, I, so I, it, I was... I've, I've passed it on to several people when I've talked to them about, you know, when they ask about podcasting. Right. So yeah, I was I was I was both really pleased to be recognized, you know, for my voice and everything, 
Um, but then he also, you know, did a really nice gesture for me as well at the time, uh, which is basically he paid for my books, which he totally didn't have to do. And I tried to talk him out of, but, you know, he did. And I thought that that was, you know, it, it just an incredibly nice gesture and everything. So then to run into him again a couple of months later and, you know, our discussion of that had, had never made it into a show. What, it, it was, I was I was really embarrassed. And I told him, you know, that at the time I said, you know, I basically told him the story. And I'm like, I guess we were talking about it, you know, not recording or something, because I, I said I if it never made it, I never heard it. I said, did you ever hear it? And he goes, no. And he goes, I do listen to all the episodes. He goes, you know, he goes, I, I think he waiting. said something <laughs> specific. Yeah, yeah, that could be too. But <laughs> I, I think he's, he specifically said something to the effect of, you know, I, I listen for you guys, not so much for the content. Or at least that was my takeaway from the conversation. So that made me feel really that good. Was. And I, I suspect that's probably the way it is because I know the, the shows that I like to listen to um, – for the you know, just about you know across the board, I'll listen for the person or persons, you know, the hosts, as opposed to what the content is. Very very seldom do I skip uh, episodes because of you know content. So I, I, I like to think it's the same way with our shows. So. But anyway, do either of you have anything before we get into the the main body of this? I have a slight rash. <laughs> oh, sorry. Never mind. No, I'm good. So, <laughs> all right. So, before we get into this, you may be wondering if you've seen the uh, the header on the show or the description or the pictures. You may be wondering uh, what, huh? So, I, w- I want to give a little bit of history of how and why I chose the books that we're going to cover because this is all my fault. You can blame it all on me. So, um, I was scanning in some covers. Uh, to my books because that's how I keep track of my inventory uh, of my collection is I basically I, I do a scan of the cover you know, front cover of each of my books as that as I acquire them and so I was doing some scanning and as I lay down a particular issue on the scanner then you know of course then I'm looking at the back cover and I realized that the back cover of these particular issues had really cool house ads. I mean, you don't usually see house ads on the back cover. You know, it's usually an advertisement. It's usually like, you know, like the Spalding basketball ad or, you know, something like that. And these were house ads for other issues of the same series. And I, and I saw these and I thought, oh, that's really cool. So I flipped it over and I scanned the back cover and I posted it to our Back to the Bins Facebook group because I just like to post really cool um, house ads there because people seem to like them. And I, I like house ads. I just I always thought they were cool. And so I posted it up and I, I made a mention that, you know, has anybody actually read these? Because I've been picking them up on the cheap, you know, whenever I stumble across them. And I've acquired quite a few of them at this point, but I haven't actually read any of them. And, and what it is is a, a series called Marvel classics comics and i got a couple of different you know responses you know people that you know had said you know that they had some familiarity with it or what and so i threw out the idea of uh you know would anybody be interested in me you know actually covering one on the show and john hyget who's uh you know one of our uh listeners and uh who's pretty active on our facebook group he chimed in and because of the picture that i had posted um, that had three different issues in the ad, 
he picked one of those and suggested that, which was Gulliver's Travels. So then, ironically, that was one of the few issues I didn't yet have was Gulliver's Travels, which wasn't going to stop me. I'd go ahead and just you know find a, a scan of it and do it that way. And then, lo and behold, I was in a comic shop not long after that, and I stumbled across Gulliver's Travels for, I don't know, like a buck or something. I've been picking them up you know, between a dollar and two dollars on those. I don't go over two dollars on them. Um, so... You know, I, I I decide okay, we'll, we'll go ahead, we'll cover that particular issue because he specifically asked for that one. Um, but that also put me in mind of another book that uh, I somehow acquired a scan of ages ago, and I the only thing I can think of is I know I didn't seek it out. It had right. to be something. No, no, I promise I didn't. I know what you're thinking, <laughs> but. Um, <laughs> I think it was one of those comics that wound up in my collection because I don't know I, how this got here. Oh, no. <laughs> it, it came in with what's what's that one? Uh, cherry pop tart, or right? <laughs> but no, you know, despite the content, you know, I, I didn't seek it out, and uh, and I I can only imagine it was probably part of one of those big, um, you know, torrents of comics. Like I used to, I used to just grab you know those those really big. Um, whatever they call them, like the zero day releases or whatever, you know, where it would just be like a, just a mass of scanned comics, you know, and you download the whole thing, sort through what you want type of thing. And I know I've acquired just a lot of just oddball comics, you know, digital comics that way. So I, I think that's how I stumbled across this. And anyway, it put me in mind of, of that comic. And I thought, this could be interesting because, as you guys are going to hear, it, this is a very different kind of book for Back to the Bins. We've never covered anything quite like it. So I, I just thought it would be a, a fun idea to, to cover both of them. Um, and I thought it was, you know, it was very cool that, you know, not long after deciding to do that and kind of throwing that idea out there, I actually did stumble across, you know, the, the physical copy of, uh, of Gulliver's Travels. So, so we're covering two books today of a, of a similar theme as you'll discover as we go through the show so i hope that kind of sets this up properly for you so um it doesn't <laughs> so the first issue we are covering is uh is an issue of marvel classics comics so i want to give you a little bit of history on this because we will discuss the book proper but i'm gonna i'm gonna spoil ahead a little bit that i find the history of this title actually more interesting than i found this individual issue that uh that got selected for the show so anyway um, uh, marvel classics comics uh ran for 36 issues from 1976 to 1978 and adapted stories such as dr jekyll and mr hyde the time machine 20,000 leagues under the sea moby dick Tom Sawyer, War of the Worlds, and so on and so on. Now, if this oh, sounds wait, a lot, wait. I, uh huh. I I know you hate it when I interrupt, but oh, I go just ahead. I, you mentioned Moby Dick, so I called USAA or uh, in, insurance the other day to get <laughs> something done, and the person picks up and says, "Hello, this is Ishmael," and I'm like, <laughs> "Can I call you I just, that?" <laughs> I just sat there. And, in shock, and I looked at my wife because it was on speaker, and then I muted, and I go, "Call me Ishmael." <laughs> <laughs> that is, funny. and then I could just I, all I could see on the other end of the line was Richard Basehart because <laughs> he played Ishmael in the movie. 
So then I was I was totally thrown off. Luckily, he couldn't answer my question, and I got uh, shuffled off to Nadine, uh, who was <laughs> then made me think of the chick from The Stand. So I was just like, wow, I'm being interviewed right. by literary characters all night long <laughs> to get insurance. So, anyway, sorry, back to your story. No, no, not at all. And, and that never feel, never feel, uh, you know, you can't jump in on me or whatever. Cause like I said, especially this portion, cause it's going to be just a bit of a history lesson. So, but no, that is really funny. Um, has nothing to do with anything whatsoever, but you just reminded me, I, I like word, you know, name association like that. And, uh, somebody I used to work with, we got the biggest kick out of one time. Uh, this is when I was working in hotels. We had a, a guest whose last name was Gelfling, <laughs> and we got the biggest kick because we kept going, Gelfling! You know, from from the, the Dark Crystal. <laughs> so anyway, I, I know what you're talking about. Yeah. Uh, so anyway, where was I here? Um, oh, so the whole thing with uh, with adapting these classic stories, if this sounds a lot like a title called Classics Illustrated, well, you'd be right, because they did this, Marvel did this, because they intended basically to pick up the slack and hopefully potential sales from when that title, Classics Illustrated, ended uh, five years prior in 1971 after a 30-year run. Classics Illustrated was kind of a mainstay um, in comics for, for a long, long time. But they folded, and then Marvel kind of stepped into that breach. So uh, in our Facebook group, Chris Honeywell had chimed in, and he said that he thought that this series, Marvel Classics Comics, uh, was all reprints of those Classics Illustrated stories. I always thought that they were all originals created by Marvel. Well, it turns out that we were both wrong, and kind of right at the same time, too, because Luke Giaconetti pointed out that the earliest issues of this series, the first 12 issues, were reprints, but not from Classics Illustrated. And the rest of the series were all original Marvel adaptations. So in doing some research into the, uh, the source material for the first 12 issues that were reprints, I wanted to know, well, what were they reprinted from? And I made a really interesting discovery on this because they were reprinted from something called Pendulum Now Age Classics, which were published by Pendulum Press and edited by a dude named Vincent uh, Fago, I guess. It's F-A-G-O, Fago, Fago. I'm not sure how you pronounce his name. So it turns out I've had some of these over the years. I've actually had a good number of these over the years. Um, these stories... Um, had been kind of heavily reprinted because uh, they were used scholastically. You guys may remember these from when you went to school. If you ever saw um, black and white, like like they were real thin, but they were basically like school book size. You know, like there's many like um, what do you call it? like a like a lesson plan type of type of mm -hmm. thing. You know what I'm talking about? I can't think of what they're called. Primer, like a primer. Yeah. Um, they were black and white comics that were telling classic literature stories uh, in a, like a scholastic format. They were more than likely these Pendulum Press stories. And they, they reprinted them for years um, and a lot of times for scholastic, uh, scholastic purposes. 
So anyway, well, see, uh, Paul had those, but it was called the newspaper. Oh. <laughs> well, hey. I, I knew that. You know, I, I had a number of these. Specifically, I know that I, I most recently had an eighth printing of War of the Worlds because I just recently sold it. Um, but I was actually more familiar with uh, many of these stories because they were printed in little paperback size booklets called Pocket Classics. And I had picked up a bunch of those over the years, too. And I had, like uh, again, I had War of the Worlds, which was the same exact story, just printed in a different format. Um, Dracula, the Time Machine, the Invisible Man, and so on. And then they even had uh, a companion series that were also little paperback size, and they were called Pocket Biographies. And they did comic book adaptations of the lives of famous people. And I had quite a few of those. I still have a few in my collection. I've got uh, Albert Einstein, which I think I've got up on eBay right now. And then I'm two of them that I decided to keep. I've got the Beatles and uh, Harry Houdini. And, you know, they're just kind of neat. So, you know, this is a kind of, uh, you know, it's kind of interesting to learn, you know, the origins of these because I really didn't know where they came from. I just had picked them up as a kid because you'd find them in like uh, – you know, like weird places, you know, like thrift stores or, or, you know, used bookstores or something like that. And, you know, anything comic related when I was a kid, I would go ahead and pick it up if it was cheap enough. So it's just something I've had in my collection all these years, but didn't really know anything about. Um, and now, as it turns out, a lot of these, depending on what the subject matter is, especially like the biography ones, they actually fetch a decent little you know price for them in the in the back issue market. So, you know, if anybody listening, you know, you chance across these things. Even if you're not terribly interested in, you know, keeping it for yourself, eh, you know, you might be able to get a decent price out of it, you know, in the secondary market. So anyway, that kind of brings us up to speed and, and where we are with this whole thing. So for the book that we are covering specifically, we're covering Marvel Classics Comics number six, which does fall into that first dozen issues uh, of reprints from the Pendulum stuff. So that's why the format in this um, is the way it is. So this is adapting Gulliver's Travels from the classic novel by Jonathan Swift. Uh, It's cover dated as simply just 1976. It was on sale, according to Mike's Amazing World, uh, on uh, May 25th, 1976. Cover by Gil Kane and Dan Atkins. I thought that was Gil Kane. Yeah. Oh, you could tell by, yeah, by Gulliver's really forehead. Maybe not yeah. his nose. Not his Bill, Bill, the nose is not Gil Kane's only signature thing. I know, I know, <laughs> but that's usually, that's usually, see, the first thing I thought was Gil Kane, I'm like, oh, but I can't no. see up his nose. But, then but I was that's, thinking, that's just some oh. of the shots. He doesn't draw everybody with an up-nose shot. Wow. You, well, he you, does a lot. <laughs> he does it more than most. I'll give you that. But he Let does me just... ask you something. Have you ever have you ever stopped to think how it is that we can pick out particular artists? Because uh, I, I don't know. I, I've tried to I tried to explain this once to my kids. Because one one of them asked me one time, how how can you tell? Like when when I look, you know, because I would often like like they'd buy like a new T-shirt or get a new T-shirt or something. And you say, or oh, I, that's I would... blah blah blah. Yeah, exactly. And I do that all the time. I, you know, like you get like a Batman shirt and go, oh, that's, uh, you know, Jose Garcia Lopez. 
I go, how do you know that? And I tried Come to on, explain. That's, like, that's an e- well, how? yeah, because. Sorry, go ahead. And it's just one of those things I can't really verbalize how I can tell, but I looked at this and immediately knew it was Gil Kane. I, I can't tell you how I knew it, but I knew that it was. I knew it from Gulliver's face. I mean, that's that's what yeah. I thought too. I, I had a strong. I, I would have been eighty percent sure that there was Gil Kane. Yeah. If 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 you told me someone other than Gil Kane drew this, then my only other conclusion would be okay. Whoever drew it was trying to make it look like Gil Kane. I would say right. it might have been like John Romita Sr. Maybe. No. No? No. 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 But uh no, you but, know, but but the thing is that you, you see certain right. stylistic things that occur over and over again, and that's how you know certain artists drew something. Recognition uh, the, by repetition. Yes. The first one that I was able to do that with was was you know, to me the obvious one was Jack Kirby. Because he had certain right. yeah. John Byrne. certain things that he did that that you know you you knew certain stylistic things that he did that 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 it was him. But then you know little by little, the more familiar you become with with the artists and the more stuff you've seen, the you know the more you're able to pinpoint stuff. Now that doesn't mean that we're always on the money because you know there have been times where we thought somebody else drew something and then we were surprised to look it up and find out that it was not them, but. I would right. still argue, even on those occasions, that the artist we thought drew it, uh, that that artist's style had been in some way duplicated in that book, even if right. you know, even if it was unconscious. Excuse me, unconsciously. Mm-hmm. But that's that's the easiest way to explain it. Like like Bill said, the, with the repetition. Right. Yeah. I mean, like art critics. You know, people that can, oh, well, this masterpiece was done by so-and-so, or this is done by so-and-so, influenced by this. I'm not pumping ourselves up as master art critics, but if we've seen enough of it, we can begin to recognize. (laughs) Right, um, that's, you know. Yeah. Now, interestingly, just talking about art, as long as we're on this little jig, uh, the interior says, illustrated by E.E. Cruz, E.R. Cruz. But if you go right. to the Marvel database, uh, it says cover artist Gil Kane, Dan Atkins. Then it says penciler Bob Larkin, inker Bob Larkin. Hmm. On the interior? It doesn't spe- specify interior, but then it also mentions E.R. Cruz also. So I don't know if that's a nom de plume for uh, Bob Larkin or if... There's some other distinction that they're going with there. Now, I, ha- I have not I seen very much penciled by Bob Larkin in, in my uh, comics viewing, so I, I don't think I'm really well-versed enough to pick out his penciling style. Most of what I've seen from him has been you know, painted covers. Right. Yeah, I... E.R. Cruz, to the best of my knowledge, is an actual person. I don't think that's anybody's pen name. I mean, it, it may be E.R. Cruz's pen name, but what I mean is I, I don't think it's a, 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 what do you call it, a um, pseudonym for um, for Bob Larkin. So, well, yeah, yeah, you I'm know what? There's, there's the cover. Then there's a, uh, a drawing of Jonathan Swift, and then there's the story. For all I know, Bob Larkin just right. did the uh, Jonathan Swift picture. That's very possible. That is, yeah, that's totally possible because it doesn't credit that picture to anybody um, that I could see here. 
and you know the the cover is a Marvel original, so that picture of Swift may also be a Marvel original as well. I'm not sure where the reprint starts. I'm assuming the reprint starts with the story. But the, the way the, the way the Marvel uh, database page has it, it has cover artist, then it says penciler, inker, letterer, then it says writer, then penciler again. So I think it's very possible that it's that Jonathan Swift sketch. Okay. And just as an aside, when we met Bob Larkin, he was a very, very nice guy. Oh, yeah. Super nice guy. Absolutely. So uh, I was curious about something real quick. So, like, you know, the I don't want to say axiom or like like the rule that says 10,000 hours of practice and a skill leads to mastery. So if we just did that. OK, so if you did five days a week spending four hours a day would take you nine years to master a skill. So how many comic books and how many years of our lives have been spent reading comic books? So I would say that is why we, I'm not trying to pump ourselves up, but we could recognize certain author, I mean, certain um, artists just by sight and say, oh yeah, I think this is this guy. So it's it's just just over time being exposed to it. And then I think think it's been an exercise in that, that, uh, you know, since, since more since we've been doing this podcast than anything else, trying yes, to I, be able to I, do that with inkers, mm-hmm. inkers and pencilers, and yeah. you know, yeah, yes, yeah. we're refined I'm here on back to the bit. No, we yeah. are not refined at all, but we we love we, we love comics. That's why we do this show. So we've you know we've dedicated some time to trying to, you know, if if only for our own pleasure to learn more about it. Speak for yourself, you heathen. <laughs> Now, I, I, refresh me, guys, because I can't remember. what What's your opinion of Gil Kane? Because myself, I'm a fan. I really like Gil Kane. I yeah. am a big fan. Okay. I'm fine with Gil Kane. I, I have no qualms. He's all right. Cool. I like this cover. I really do. I, I think it's a very – so the cover itself, I don't know if I really described it, but this cover itself is – it, it, to me, if there's one classic image, I mean, if you if you have any familiarity whatsoever with the story of Gulliver's Travels, there's there's kind of one image everybody knows, and that's Gulliver on the beach uh, where he's been tied down essentially by the Lilliputians. Which there's are a giant on the people. beach. There's a giant on the beach. Yep. <laughs> I'm glad you referenced that. I am so glad you referenced that. So most everybody knows that the world's first full-length animated feature film was Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs. Do you know what the second one was? Gulliver's Travels. Uh, I'm going to think Gulliver's <laughs> Travels. There you go. There was there was a it big was thing Gulliver's I remember Travels. learning about that, that there was a big thing with Disney trying to beat out Fleischer to get that first full-length feature yep. out because at yes. that time they were neck and neck in the rivalry. Absolutely. Absolutely. I'm glad you mentioned that because I was going to ask you if you knew who the studio was. And the studio was the Fleischer Studio. uh, If you know nothing else about the Fleischer Studios, if you've ever seen any of the Superman, the classic 40s Superman cartoons or or, um, Popeye, uh, Mm -hmm. they were both Fleischer. Yeah. Disney and Fleischer, they were they were big rivals at the time. Um, And, yeah, they were both in a race to be the ones to produce the the first uh, full length animated. While it doesn't, you know, it doesn't stand up to say Snow White, 
uh, if you ever get the chance to watch it, it is still a really, really good movie. It's it's very dated um, by today's standards and everything, but uh, you know it is out there. It's actually public domain, believe it or not. That movie is public domain. That's why back in the 80s and 90s, there were so many really, really, really shitty VHS copies of Gulliver's Travels by like dozens of different companies because it was a public domain movie. So anybody that got a got their hands on a print, no matter how bad some of the prints were, and some of them were really bad, they, oh, they were able is- to just... Run that, it explains, off and, uh, that explains why that Ted Danson movie happened. Well, there was, you know, growing. Well, up, I don't know about the story. These... I'm just talking about. I'm talking about the Fleischer cartoon. Well, no, if the subject matter went into public domain as well, then. Well, he's talking about the movie going into yeah. public domain. Though. Yeah. And I, I but yeah. I, I remember, you know, as a kid, there was the the Fleischer cartoon, and then I think it was around 1960 or so, and I'm not looking this up, so this is all off the top of my head. There was a movie called The Three Worlds of Gulliver. Yes, yeah, that was that was one that, that they'd show probably around Thanksgiving each year, uh, and and it was it yeah, was pretty was well done as that well. Was a holiday, yeah. yeah. That was my my first exposure, I think, to the story of Gulliver was that movie because I can remember, as you say, it would play like around Thanksgiving or Christmas. Uh, I want to say on like WPIX or something, if I remember right. Uh, I remember catching that as a kid, and uh, yeah, yeah, that that's I, I haven't seen it in years, but I remember it being a pretty good uh, pretty good movie, as I recall. So back to this, <laughs> anyway. Um, just to wrap up the cover on this, original cover price on this was fifty cents, which was for fifty-two full pages, no ads, so you know, not a bad deal. I mean, it was pricier than a regular Marvel at the time, but again, you're getting fifty-two pages and no ads. So, all right. So the story itself, according to the credits inside the book, is uh, this is adapted uh by the Jonathan you know, from the Jonathan Swift novel by John Norwood Fago or F- I'm going to say Fago I'm not really not sure how it's pronounced uh who I tried and was unable to find anything out about I have no idea who this person was or, or what his story was or whatever and I'm only uh, I'm assuming he's related to uh the Vincent Fago, who was the guy behind um, Pendulum Press, just because they have the same last name. But again, I, I couldn't find out anything on these guys. Uh, and then illustrated by E.R. Cruz. Now, I can't remember if I mentioned this already. I think I did, but in case I didn't. Now, I, I while I have been scarfing these up on the cheap, I hadn't actually read one yet when I proposed covering one uh, in the Facebook group. So right out of the gate, you know, after choosing this issue and everything, not really knowing this history or anything, just kind of choosing it blindly, you know, based on the suggestion, I got to admit, as soon as I opened up the cover and and started digging into this, that uh, I have to confess to being more than a little disappointed by the presentation style here, because while the pendulum stuff, you know, it was often clunky, Um, at least they usually, not always, but they usually used dialogue boxes. It was pretty much like most of the time it was standard comics. Um, This is not. Everything here is uh, narrated by Gulliver. And so you you have comic book style illustrations. This reminds me very much of like, say, Prince Valiant from 
comic strips where you've got a comic illustration um but then the 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 wording is underneath it you know the the narration is underneath the pictures so you don't get word balloons you don't get thought balloons um you don't get actual dialogue everything is being told to you almost like a like a children's storybook kind of thing um so this isn't really it's not really comics in in the sense that i think of of comics if you know what i mean um Everything's narrated to us by Gulliver himself, and frankly, it's rather dry. It's kind of matter of fact, and I found it often hard to follow. I have the feeling that um, it was heavily abbreviated, like like a lot of stuff was was given short shrift or or you know, just like a quick mention without going into specifics. But anyway, uh, here goes with your basic synopsis. Okay, the best I could figure wait, this. So Gulliver, no, wait, go wait, ahead. Wait. So I just looked up E.R. Cruz, and he um, – did he pass away? Nope, he's still alive. Um, really? He, yeah, he's a Filipino comics artist, best known, known for his work on mystery comics and war comics for D.C. in the 70s and 80s. However, I'm looking at it on, on Wikipedia. It's F – Euphronio Reyes Cruz, uh, born 1934. He is now uh, age 85 to 86. And it does show in his biography, Marvel Classics Comics 6 through 7, 1976, and also 10 through 11. So he, uh, I don't know where Bob Larkin comes in. So. Was E.R. Cruz, was he part of the tribe or part of the, the Filipino crew? Do you know? I don't know. Um, hmm. Yeah, I've heard the name, and I know I've seen his work out there before, but he's not somebody I'm I'm terribly familiar with. I really like his art. I, I, I think mean, it he was still really doing, good. He was doing a savage sort of Conan up until like 1995. Oh, wow. Um, and Sable for first comics. He did a lot of those. Uh, Eerie with uh, Warren Pup Publishing in the 80s. DC, he did a lot of, like, he did Jonah Hex. Um, oh, yeah. 1979 to 1980. The Shadow. I was trying to remember where I had seen his name. Yeah, I think on, it was either. Weird Western tales or very early issues of uh, of the Jonah Hex title proper. I think he did some some issues when um, yeah he did House of Disneyga uh, stepped away for a while. I don't have any familiarity with his work other than this book. Uh, what I would say about it is the the art looks fine. Uh, it 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 almost has kind of an old fashioned look about it, but that's not a problem. But because of the nature of the way the story is told in here, I have no idea of his skills in storytelling or pacing. Or even for that right. matter, really showing emotion, because there's not much in the way of that that's coming across in the story. Right, right. But as far as well, just me, drawing uh... a, a simple, you know, shot of, of, you know, some sort of action taking place, it looks like he's fine. Right. 
Let me run through a, a quick synopsis and we'll get into we'll discuss the art and such here. Um, so <clears throat> this is this is my this is I wrote this synopsis myself. This is based on what I was able to glean from the story. So bear with me on this. So um, Gulliver, a man who studied to be a doctor and also learned navigation and mathematics, suffers from great wanderlust and a seeming inability to learn from his mistakes as he continually puts to sea and falls into one mishap after another. The first of which, in 1699, sees him shipwrecked as he washes up on the shores of the land of Lilliput, where uh, teeny tiny pinky finger-sized inhabitants capture and drug him and bring him before their king, where he is eventually taught their language and customs. Gulliver swears loyalty to the Lilliputian government, but when he uh, uses his great size to thwart and capture a rival kingdom's naval fleet, he earns the ire of the admiral of the Lilliputian navy, who gets him convicted of treason. Uh, the story doesn't really go into the details on that. He, it just says that he's been convicted of it. So Gulliver defects to the rival kingdom, whose people help him fashion a new boat for himself, and eventually he returns to England where he is reunited with his family and for a time makes money telling of his adventures in Lilliput. But liking adventure, he puts to sea again and is swept up in a storm that winds him up in a land of giants that are as big to him as he was to the Lilliputians. So now Gulliver is the, the tiny person. Um, he becomes by turns the property of a giant farmer's young daughter, an oddity in a traveling freak show, and something to amuse the royalty of the land of the giants. Eventually he is snatched up, uh, snatched up by a giant bird and dumped in the ocean where he is found by a ship populated by people of his same size. He returns once again to England and his family, where he acts like a complete kook thanks to his harrowing adventures. Uh, but being an apparent glutton for punishment, he again goes to sea, and this time runs afoul of pirates who put him off the ship in a dinghy, where uh, eventually he lands in a group of small barren islands. One day, a floating city-slash-sky fortress thing appears overhead and takes him aboard. There he meets a people so weird and seemingly ass-backwards that it doesn't take him long at all to want to return to England. Eventually he does, via an island of magicians, another unnamed island, and Japan, before arriving back home where he leaves again in, the, in five months. And he thinks to himself... If only I had learned the lesson of knowing when I was well off. And this is the point of the story. I literally said out, uh, out loud to myself, you think? Because he just keeps doing the same thing over and over again and, and getting in trouble every time. So this time out, Gulliver is now the captain of his own vessel. And he promptly loses many men due to the difficult trip and is forced to take on new crew in Barbados who promptly take over the ship and dump his stupid ass off at the first <laughs> land that they sight. 
This turns out to be essentially the planet of the horses where equines are smart, can talk, and are the dominant species over a race of cavemen-like idiot humans called yahoos. <laughs> and I wrote here in my synopsis, I'm going to assume that this is where we get the term yahoo from. I actually looked this up, and it's true. There are a number of words in our common usage today that come from the story of Gulliver's Travels, yahoos being one of them. Uh, anyway, for some strange reason, Gulliver takes right to this and actually seems perfectly content and at peace being essentially the pet of his his master, who is a horse. But one thing his master sadly, or one, excuse me, one morning rather, uh, his master sadly informs him that there are those who think this is unnatural. Uh, you think? And send him away to go back to where he came from. Brokenhearted, Gulliver fashions himself a boat and returns to England where he can't stand the sight or touch of his fellow humans and spends the rest of his days talking to horses and believing that they understand him perfectly. And that is Gulliver's travels. Now, one of the big reasons that I have been interested in this series, uh, Marvel Classics Comics, and to a small degree, Classics Illustrated, although I really don't have many of those at all. And I, again, I don't think I've ever read any of those except the one that we covered on the show way back when, um, is the fact that I, I fully acknowledge the fact that my knowledge of, quote unquote, the classics comes largely from either movies or pop culture osmosis. But I have actually sat down and read very few of the actual classics. But I'm interested in a lot of these stories, like, say, Gulliver's Travels, The Invisible Man, War of the Worlds, and so on. I'm interested in the stories because they're considered classics for a reason. But I, I haven't actually read many of them. And frankly, who's got the time? And a lot of them, when I've tried to read them, like, say, Dracula, for example, that's one damn boring book. But I'm still interested in the stories. And I thought, well, this would be a way for me to maybe absorb a little bit more knowledge of the classics, but also in, you know, in a format that I really enjoy. And a lot of these stories, especially like these Marvel Classics comics, are actually written and illustrated by some of the, you know, some of the top talent in comics of the time, especially Marvel comics of the time. Um, and some artists that I'm really interested in, you know, and, and, and I'm a big fan of. So that's the reason I've been kind of grabbing these up. Um, unfortunately, I didn't realize when this book got selected that this was what it is, that it was part of the reprints, you know, the first 12 issues, the reprints of that Pendulum Press stuff, which is very... Um, I don't know. It's it's I, I had been warned, essentially, by Luke. Uh, he he had made a comment uh, on our Facebook group about the reprint issues being I think the word he used was stayed. And yeah, wow, he, he's he nailed it. That's 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 a great way to describe this. It's interesting, but it, it's not very good. Um I think the illustrations are beautiful. I, I really do. But as you say, Paul, you know, you're not getting a lot of emotion. You're just kind of getting a, a, a picture 
Um, there's not a lot of flow to it in this, in the traditional sense, because it, it's just kind of an illustration to go along with the narration. And the narration, it, to me anyway, was damn awkward and clunky. There's a lot of this I had trouble following, like what, what exactly was going on. Um, once you got out of Lilliput in the, in the chapter of the story that I was most familiar with, I was kind of lost for a lot of it. I, I didn't understand, you know, the, the motivations. I, I felt like a lot of the story was kind of being breezed over, if, if you know what I mean. Mm-hmm. And I understand, you know, from, from the limited knowledge I have of the story and, and doing just a little bit of homework, you know, on, on the backstory of it, that this was a super popular story of its time. And one of the reasons it became a classic and, and was such a big hit at the time was that it was a biting satire uh, commentary on basically the, the state of the world at the time and, and politics and everything. All of that shit was completely lost on me. If this is satire, um, it needs to be pointed out to me because I, I missed it. I, I guess the, of the, satire, way presented. the satire, at least in like the Lilliput land is, is a lot, a lot of that is based on the silly things that the governments get into fights over. Like, you know, what side of the egg you're going to open or whatever it was. Like there was, you know, just like silly, silly arguments that they were having. And I think that's, that's where the political satire came in. Uh, as far okay. as satire on everyday life, uh, you know, I'm not really, to, I'm not. I'm not up on the other world so much that he went to, because most of my familiarity is with the Fleischer cartoon. Right. So you know the other worlds and you know what went on in them. I, I, I can only vaguely remember. And then from reading this, this is this just comes off as exceptionally dry. It's just dry. Yeah. You know, it's just yeah. you, you're looking at it and it's like. I, I derive no joy from reading this. Is what it came down to. Yeah. No, I, I'm, I'm it, with you. It I felt was, like I a was... homework assignment. Yeah. For that, I apologize because I, I did not know that that's what this was going to be, and and I, I, I share your feeling. Um, Oh, there's, there's I, no problem I, I with that. You know, would, sometimes we get winners, sometimes we don't. I, you know, there's no blame. Right. I, I didn't. I didn't hate it, and the, the basically the reason I didn't hate it was I, I do really like the illustrations. I, I think it's very well, you know, very nicely illustrated. But again, it, it is illustrated as opposed to being a comic, because. I think one of the things that's going to be really interesting with the next book that we're going to cover is that I can follow that story from start to finish through the illustrations. Whereas this, I, you know, without the narration, I have no idea what the hell's going on. It's just a series of pictures. So it's not a comic. It's not a visual narrative in the, in the classic sense of comics. It's, it's an illustrated book. Um, which is nice. I mean, that, that elevates it to a certain artsiness, if you know what I mean, but it makes for poor comics. And coupled with an extremely dry and clunky narration, 
Um, yeah, it was it was a bit of a slog. So yeah, I, I frankly this particular one I was I was disappointed in. What did you think, Bill? Uh, yeah, I was just kind of uh, bogged down, <laughs> very bogged down. Right. Just, just kind of. I mean, yes, the many of the illustrations were were, were good, but I just didn't care. <laughs> I was just right. I mean, and, and there was things that I found figured out between this and the other book about the story that I didn't even know about the horses or the floating island or or, yeah, or uh, like yeah, I did the island that. in the sky. All I knew was the little people and the big people. Well, now isn't the original like, oh, source material the many worlds of Gulliver? Because there was the, the I, other movie, which was the Three Worlds, so, but I think yeah. I think the original source is uh, the Many Worlds. Now I could be wrong. Maybe I'm just talking out of my ass. Because you know, like I say, I'm only familiar with really the the Fleischer movie and uh, the movie you mentioned before, the Three Worlds of Gulliver. But it seems to me that that most adaptations I've ever been exposed to seem to just focus on the Lilliput. Lily section like like that's what's survived and that's what's gone into like like the pop culture zeitgeist is is giant gulliver and the rest of that stuff seems to be kind of forgotten or or little known Mm -hmm. um Mm -hmm. and, and so yeah reading reading this in full um i was surprised to learn that he had, because I knew that there were other adventures, I just wasn't familiar with them. I didn't realize there were this many other adventures, because I, I thought, you know, he he went to Lilliput where he was the giant. I think I was peripherally aware of of him going to a world where he was the tiny person and there were giants. Beyond that, yeah, I agree with Bill. I had no idea about like the horse thing. I was just waiting him. for the Doctor Zayas horse to come out. <laughs> Um. Yeah, the the whole the floating island that that was just freaking bizarre. I don't know what that was all about. That I have a feeling that's where like the really biting satire probably was. But again, I I I kind of missed it. But I, I I can see where where that's probably where it was because that seemed like the most like. These people are just ridiculous and nonsensical. They they were like just silly, really. But again, the way that this is presented, with it being so dry and everything, it just came off as like I just wanted to get past that part because it just wasn't really doing anything for me. But I I can see where that part of the story, you know, in the original, uh, you know, the original book or whatever had potential to be interesting, I guess. I, I don't know. It's, it's hard to describe, but yeah, overall this, this, it, it just reads so clunkily and it really makes Gulliver. I, I wish there had been more like getting inside his head or, or understanding his motivations. Cause with there being no real first person narrative in this, it, just makes him sound like an idiot, you know, that he just keeps doing this crazy stuff to himself. And it's, and I wanted to know, was he running away from his family? Like, could he not stand them or something? Cause he kept going home, 
but then he'd be home for a short time and then he'd immediately go back out to sea again where he'd get stuck in some other situation where some of these things that he went through, doesn't it say like months or years went by? Because I, I think he was in the land of the giants for like years, wasn't he? So the question is, was he escaping something or because of his travels, did he come home and he now had some type of mental illness? And then he was escaping because of that. I don't know. I'm not sure what the satire is. I guess we would have to be more more in touch with things going on in the world then. I mean, yeah. if we try to apply it to today, um, you know, uh, I wouldn't mind going someplace else. Bunch of little people hanging out on a beach in my white bathing suit. Oh, wait, that's the I next book. Sorry. Who I can enslave to, to take care of my every need. That's right. Don't be drugging me up with food. Slipping slipping a Mickey in my Mountain Dew. You little bastards. Crush all of you. <laughs> Wait, I spoke too much. Sorry. Yeah, you know what? I mean, again, I, I hate to keep going back to the same thing, but because my primary familiarity with this is the Flasher cartoon, which, you know, as you said, Scott, it, it may be dated, and it's been long enough since I've seen it that – uh, I can't say for sure that it's not dated, but as a kid, I always found it to be very, uh, it, it, it had its own way of being entrancing. You know, it took you to another world kind of, right. uh, you know, literally, uh, but there, there was, there was a fun aspect of it that I feel is lost in this version because this version is so dry and I don't think. I, I suspect that the cartoon was always more fun than the story. I think if you would, you know, if you would sit down and read Jonathan Swift's sto- story, it, it would be just as dry as reading this. Is my my expectation. Hmm. I think it, it's a clever premise, but especially if you take it into you know whatever year that was written in, uh, I, I don't even know. Was that like in the early 1900s or was it earlier than that? I. I think it's earlier than that, but don't don't hold me to it. I mean, the story itself is set, you know, at the end of the uh, the seventeenth century, so I'm not sure exactly when the when the book itself was actually written. I, I had looked that up at some point, but I didn't make a note of it, so I don't I don't remember now. I mean, I know it's been with us for a long time, but I, I don't remember exactly when it was written. All right, well, I'm going to look it up now, so Just, you guys keep <laughs> well, talking. Well, why you do that? Actually, it's a 1726 prose satire. Wow. Okay. Yeah. So it's more or less contemporaneous with the events that are that are in the story then. That's okay. So it's been with us for a couple hundred years then. Yeah. It's, it's outstated. It's I mean, it's cool. certainly imaginative. You know, yeah, it is. Well, despite how how this one came off, and despite my feelings for for this particular issue, now that I I'm armed with more information about this series and everything, I I am still interested in it, and particularly with the issues that are actually Marvel issues, if you know what I mean, not not reprints. They're actually Marvel originals. Mm-hmm. And those start with uh, those start with issue thirteen and run through the rest of the series. And what I say was thirty six issues, I think. Um, so that being the case, 
Um, I'd like to come back and, and examine this again at some point. And uh, Luke, if you're listening, I'd like to throw the invitation out to you, buddy, to uh, you know to come join us for this. If there's a particular issue that you'd recommend or that you'd want to cover, uh, I think that could be interesting. I, I ha- kind of have one in mind myself um, just uh, over the weekend. Yeah, as we record this, it's it's the weekend. Um, just you know, over this past weekend, I uh, acquired a couple more issues, and one of them that I acquired, I'm really really excited about. I got issue, I think it's number nineteen. I want to say it's uh, Robinson Crusoe, and that's actually illustrated by. I think it's actually listed in the credits as the tribe. But the tribe was essentially a, a group of artists. Uh, it had Tony Dizniga and, and the other Filipino artists in it working together as a team. Um, I, I thumbed through it. I haven't read it, but I thumbed through it. And the art is just, I mean, it's beautiful. And I'm kind of passingly familiar with Robinson Crusoe. So I just thought it, that seems more interesting to me because it looks, it's more, it's straight up comics. It's a Marvel comic. So. Yeah, I'd like to come back and, and take a look at this again, you know, the series, I mean. But, uh, you know, well, that's ER, that's an issue I wouldn't mind doing. What's that? E.R. ER Cruz did work in Tony DiZaniga's studio from 1963 to 1971. Oh, okay. So. Yeah, see, I, I, I knew they were contemporaries, but I didn't know if they if they actually, like, worked together or what. But, yeah, I, I knew that uh, – or you, you had reminded me with reading, you know – the thing on Cruz that he had worked because I knew I'd seen his work somewhere. He, he stepped in on, um, on the Jonah Hex narrative in, in either weird Western or the Jonah Hex title itself, uh, at some point while Dizaniga was working on the book. Cause I think Dizaniga was working on it and then he left for a time and then there were other artists and then he came back to it a little bit later on, and and Cruz was one of those like in the interim artists. But uh, yeah, I, I like his style on that, and I, I think his style is very similar to uh, to Niggas anyway. I, I even see that in the issue, you know, that we just looked at here, Gulliver's Travels. I see a certain similarity. I would describe if I had to describe this art style, I would describe it as kind of a mix of like say Dizaniga and um, who's that guy uh, Alcala, Alfredo Alcala. Mm. I, I think the inking on this really heavily reminds me of Alcala. It's it's not quite as thick, or I always I always describe Alcala's inking style as kind of greasy. It's not as greasy, but it's still very similar, but I like it. I mean, I, I think it looks nice, but, uh, that's really all I've got on this. Uh, my only other note was that, um, the actual, uh, Marvel original issues. So issues 13 through 36, uh, actually got collected recently. Um, I forget whether it was a hardbound uh, or a paperback, I think it was a hardbound edition, but I'm not sure. But anyway, it just recently got um, collected and reprinted um, and looks really nice, too. But you can find these issues uh, of the series, you know, really cheap. Like I said, I've been picking them up on the cheap for usually between a dollar and two dollars. And despite how I felt about this particular issue, um, I'm, I'm still interested in the others. But I'm, at this point, I think I'm going to concentrate on just, you know, 
the the Marvel original issues uh, over the uh, the reprints. Do we want to give grades? Yeah, I think we should. All right, I will go first since it was uh, I was the one that foisted this on you guys. Um, I like the cover a lot. Uh, I'm a mark for Gil Kane. I I, I like Gil Kane a lot. Uh, very seldom uh, do I have I ever seen anything of his that I, I didn't really care for. Uh, I think one of the things that really helps me uh, identify this right out of the gate as Gil Kane is that despite the way he's dressed, this is essentially um, uh, what's his name um, Hal Jordan with old timey clothes on. And longer hair. That, and longer hair, yeah. Because, I mean, the face and the body, the pose, you know, the balled-up fists and everything, that that's very much like a classic Gil Kane, uh, Hal Jordan, Green Lantern. Put a ring on it. If you'd like it, <laughs> put a ring on it. <laughs> but I, I like it. I really do. I like it a lot. It's funny because I, I think Gulliver himself, is I mean it just screams Gil Kane to me, but uh, the little people all around him, the Lilliputians all around him, actually remind me a lot of, of that kind of washed out Jack Kirby inked by um, Vinnie Coletta from like Thor. So it almost looks like a Thor crowd scene to me <laughs> with all the little people. It, it, you know what I'm talking about? Yeah, I do, and that's not a bad comparison. <laughs> <laughs> um but yeah i like i like the cover i'm gonna say uh i will say a i'll say a b on the cover i think it's a pretty good cover i really do like it i think it's colored nicely i, I think it uh you know it kind of grabs you anyway uh it's too bad that the that the interior wasn't more like this although i like the interior again this this to me just this is classic comics right here um Interior art, I like it a lot, but it's not it's not comics. It's an illustrated book, and that's that's all the difference here. Um, it's hard to know how to grade this properly because I don't think it was intended to be a comic. It, it is a reprint of other materials, so you kind of have to look at it that way. So. For what it is, um, I think the illustrations are very, very nice. Um, it just doesn't really work as a comic book. So it would be better that, suited for an illustrated novel. Yes, yeah, yeah absolutely. Very much so. I, I was trying to think of what you know, what what sort of format this artwork worked in, and uh, I think that's exactly what it is. I think if if, yeah. if you if this was a novel or a novelette and and there were illustrations you know on each page this is exactly the type of illustrations you'd have. Yep. Yeah, and and it totally works for that. And I mean there are some really good panels. Uh the panel in particular or the page rather uh where Gulliver wakes on the beach. I, I really like that. I mean, I like the the expression. It's one of the few expressions you really get in the whole story is the expression of, uh, well, you know what? Come to think of it, I was going to say the expression of shock, but it's really not. He's being fed now that I really pay attention to the picture. So I'd actually kind of misinterpreted the picture. I thought he had a like a shocked expression on his face. He's actually just opening his mouth so they can dump food in it. So 
Yeah, there there is, as you say, a distinct lack of emotion um, in the illustrations. It's just him performing different feats, and it, it's very posed in that aspect. So, you know, yeah, the art's very good. It just it doesn't flow. Um, so, yeah, it's really hard to grade it because I, I, I think it's I think it's very nice. I think it's uh, some of it's beautiful. Um, it's just not. Yeah, it's not what we're used to for for comic book stuff. So um, I'm going to say. I'm going to say a C plus, which seems a little harsh, I, I think, but that's because I really like the illustrations. It's just not a comic book. Um, and then as far as the story goes, um, ugh, I think I'm going to go a D on the story. I, I have no idea. I mean, I've never read the actual Gulliver's Travels book. I have no idea if, if I'd like the actual book a lot better or what. But as this is presented here, um, it just it it's weird. It's it jumps. Um, it seems to skip some pertinent things that would explain the story and make make a little more sense of it. There was one part in this I, I should have made a note of it. Um, but there was one part where it literally referenced somebody that I don't know who it's talking. Oh, here it is. It's on page. Uh, the pages aren't numbered, but of the scan, it's page 25. And it's where Gulliver was starting to kind of pine for it's when he was being kept captive when he was small and he was starting to pine for wanting to go home. And in the middle of the, the page, it says, I long to see the ocean so that uh, at our journey's end, although my friend was ill and could not take care of me. And I'm like, what what friend? Who the hell are you talking about? Because at this time, the last person it was shown him having any interaction with was the royalty who were basically mm. keeping him as a toy. And so I didn't know who the, who the hell is he talking about? What friend? Because he didn't have a friend that we were shown or told about at this point. So it was stuff like that that bugged me. It was like there was a like a skip in the narrative. Um, and you know, I'm sure that you know if this was uh, you know if this was a long novel or I think it was actually originally written like. Like, you know, they used to do this, you know, in, in olden times where a story would uh, would come out serialized like in like in a newspaper or something. I think that's what Gulliver's Travels was originally. I think it was like a serialized adventure. So it was probably rather long. So, you know, they had to encapsulate this entire story in this 52 page issue. So, yeah, I'm sure that they had to condense things and maybe even uh you know, omit some things to keep it moving along and make it fit. But in doing that, um, it makes it choppy. And there's certain part, uh, certain points of the story that are just really hard to follow. And so that, that definitely infected my, my enjoyment of it. Cause there were certain aspects of it, the story. I just didn't get like, what was the point? What, what's happening here? Um, so yeah, that that would be why I would grade it. Um, 
you know, lower. So overall, it's an overall grade for the whole book. Um, eh, I'll be generous and say a C minus, but yeah, it's it's really not very good. So there you go. Um, I'd say if you're if you're thinking about picking it up, pick it up for the cover. The cover's awesome, but that's that's about it. So yeah. I think my grades are a little different than yours, just slightly, but the things that you've said about it were pretty much all, I, I totally agree with everything you said. Uh, I think the cover is very catchy, and I think if you needed to read Gulliver's Travels for school, or if you had some familiarity with Gulliver's Travels from the Fleischer cartoon, or you know just from hearing about it, and you saw this on the stands, I think you'd be all over it. You'd pick it up in a heartbeat because I think the cover would catch your eye, and you'd want to you'd want to read the story, and it would be mm-hmm. to your everlasting regret once you got inside of it. <laughs> um, the uh, the artwork, I, I I agree with the, what you said. It's it's not comics. It's more like Bill said, like an illustrated book. Um, so I, I want to give the artwork, really what I want to do is I want to give it an incomplete uh, because I don't think it's fair to, to rate it as a comic when it's really not, or when it's really not comic book art at least. But, you know, since we're forced to, I'll agree with your uh, C-plus on the uh, artwork. Uh, and the biggest, the biggest detriment to the artwork is it's not sequential storytelling. Right. Uh, it's not that there's any, any images that I look at and think, oh, this image looks bad. Uh, I think the images are pretty sharp, but you know it is still a comic book, and we got to read it somehow. Story-wise, I think that you had two choices going into this one. You you could either try to be very clever and create the satire or the satiric uh, way of telling the story, where you know where you'd read it and and you'd kind of take that out of it, or you could dumb it down and just kind of give, you know, the story, just give the beats of the story and just move it along. And I don't think that they chose to do either in this case. And I think that was a very poor choice. Uh, it's, 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 it's almost like it, it attempts to be artsy in the way he words it. And I think it's very, very dry because of that. And like I said, it comes off as like a homework assignment trying to read this thing. And I'm sure if you had a very good literature teacher in elementary school and they handed out this book for everybody to read and that that teacher kind of brought out the cleverness of the original story somehow, then it's fine. But if you're left on your own, you know, as, as a, you know, whatever, 12, 13, 14 year old sitting at home reading this, no, it's uh, I'm going to say a D minus, honestly, because I think it was just very poor choice of the way that he uh, scripted it. So and overall, overall, I'm going to give the book a D because I, I think it, it just barely scrapes by that. It's telling the story and doing no more. There's no more. There's no more joy to be taken from this book other than the cover is pretty cool and it tells the story. If you, if you you know, if your choice was to sit down and read the prose or do this for a homework assignment, you might want this. Fair enough. Bill? Yeah, the cover's great. Uh, not indicative of what, you know, I saw the cover and thought, oh, oh this is going to be an exciting tell. It's too late. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, yeah, I would give the cover a B. 
And, I mean, the interior art, like I said, is better suited for an illustrated novel. Like every other few pages, you know, you just get a, an illustration off to the side just to tell you, you know, what's going on somewhere on that page. Uh, for that, it would be great at conveying that. But to hold, like you said, it's like it skips beats, like we're jumping around too much. It's It's just not enough. I mean, it tells the story. I mean, in the art, it isn't bad, but in this aspect of storytelling, um, no, no, I I have to give it a C or maybe a little lower. Now, the story itself being a classic, you know, would be obviously higher, but the way, again, conveyed with this artwork and how it jumps around, it can't get as high of a score out of me so it's going to be a d or a c and overall you know the book's a high uh high d low c so Ari gulliver <laughs> now all right so we for took our second way book. yeah but we took way longer on this book than i thought we were yeah and do we want to make this a two-parter and because i think we're going to want to devote a lot of time to the second part we can do that we can absolutely do that because yeah i I definitely want to make sure that we don't give uh short shrift to the second book (laughs) okay well yeah i think i think if we try to cover it now we are going to give it short shrift so i I think bill is is right that i think uh maybe we break this up into a two-parter and, so uh, as well, of right now, no one, because this way you would only po- post one picture up in the ah. thing. So they have no idea what the second part is going to be. Well, we, what we'll just say by way of a teaser is that it is a takeoff of Gulliver's <laughs> Travels. Well, and, and a can, hint can, would can have I, been... Should we give the, uh, the creator's name, maybe? Well, a hint of yeah, it sure. been earlier... When I said something like, I need to go on the beach and get in my white bathing suit. That's I think a, I said that's that. That's not a hint at all. <laughs> the, well, we the, know. the creator, if people are interested and they, and they want to try and get a heads up on this, uh, if they don't want to, that's fine. You just wait and you know we'll, we'll have an episode coming up on, on this other version of it. But uh, the creator is a gentleman named Milo Manara. So. And there is a there is a French version in black and white, and there is a color version in English. And I believe Milo is Italian. I would say, yeah, but what then? Why was this version in French? I wondered that too. Yeah, he is Italian. Um, he's an Italian. I swear uh, the other ones are French, right? Yeah, because yeah, yeah, it is. This is in French. Yeah. Well, my my understanding is that there there have been several printings of this. So the, what we're looking at may or may not. Couldn't you imagine why? Uh, yeah, I'm sure this would be in high demand this, in, uh, in the school system. This would be well, interesting. See, we shouldn't discuss it too much yet. If we, yeah, we save it for I don't the next think we've time. ever covered anything quite like this before. So this, let me just this say this: I, I keep having to hide it from my wife when she comes in the garage, and I'm like, "Oh shit! I'm gonna <laughs> close this that window down." What do you read? I'm reading a comic book. Right. Pervy old yeah, I man. think that's that's enough hints. Yeah, Let's leave it leave it lie there, and uh, we'll we'll cover that. I don't know if it's gonna be next time or not. It might be next time. 
There we'll we probably go. do the next time. I think stretch we, it out even more. Make them I think really we, I think we should do it two weeks in a row. So ne- next yeah. time yeah. on an all-new episode, we'll uh, cover part two of this uh, Gulliver's extravaganza. It's the many worlds of Back to the Bins Gulliver. <laughs> exactly. Bye-bye, everybody. Ciao, Bella. Thank you so much for listening to our show, and we hope you'll continue to join us each and every week for more good old-fashioned comic book back-issue awesomeness. You can contact Back to the Bins to leave feedback, comments, questions, suggestions, and criticisms via email at bins at twotruefreaks.com or by joining the Back to the Bins group on Facebook. Back to the Bins is a proud affiliate of the Two True Freaks Internet Radio Network, which you may find at www.twotruefreaks.com. Two True Freaks is a registered trademark of DiManzo Corps of Milan, Italy. All rights reserved. Please take a moment to stop by the twotruefreaks.com site and check out their many other fine podcasts, won't you? Thanks, and we'll see you next week. Well, you weren't exaggerating. He's a whopper. He's under constant guard, Father. He's dead if he makes a move. Does he talk? He has a limited vocabulary, Father. How does one address him? Uh, Man Mountain is the usual term, Your Majesty. Good evening, Man Mountain. Good evening, Your Excellency. Splendid! Who are these two? Caught trying to steal the giant from the state. That's a lie! We found him, he belongs to us! No, no, no. You see, we don't want him. We we are going to donate him to the war effort. Traitors, are they? Let's feed them to the giant. (laughs) An excellent test of his ferocity. Don't eat me, and I'll be your friend for life. I see you're all right. Partners, you and me, what'd you say, hey? My son! My son! The giant has shown mercy. How marvellous. We, however, will not. Have them both disemboweled at dawn. Well, I don't think that's wise, Your Majesty.